Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. I'm Adam Masters. It's great to have you here. Before we begin, a reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what is right for you. Any general tax information provided is intended as a guide only. With that out of the way, here's Shane. Thanks, Adam, and good day, everyone. This week, I thought we'd talk about household debt in Australia. I mean, to be honest with you, I think it's a bit like Australia's Achilles heel, this combination of very high household debt levels that has accompanied a surge in home prices over the last 30 years or so. Of course, this has been a problem for a while, but in the absence of a major trigger for major debt servicing problems, such as a surge in unemployment or surge in interest rates, it hasn't so far caused a major problem. There were concerns going to the pandemic that much higher unemployment would trigger a problem, but of course that was quickly headed off by JobKeeper and record low interest rates. But a potential trigger is now upon us with rising interest rates. At the one extreme, we hear comments that this combination of very high debt levels, rising interest rates will create a perfect storm in the surge in the form of a surge in mortgage rates, forced home selling and a crash in property prices causing a big hit to the economy. Now, of course, at the other extreme, we hear some saying, well, there's nothing really to worry about because yes, household debt has gone up, but by the same token, it's been accompanied by a much bigger rise in household wealth and households in particular have built up big buffers in terms of a strong rise in home deposits. So there's no need for concern. The reality or the truth is probably somewhere in between these two extreme views. And of course, much depends on how high interest rates rise. This uh, week, we're gonna look at the main issues. First, the bad news. There has been a big rise in household debt in Australia over the last 30, 40 years. Uh, if you go back, for example, to 1990, there was on average $69 worth of household debt on average for every $100 worth of household income after tax. Today, just over 30 years later, it's $187 worth of debt for every $100 of after-tax income. So that's a massive increase. In fact, it's even a much bigger increase since 1970. So that obviously creates some consternation, particularly when you realise that that ratio of debt to average household income in Australia is at the high end of comparable OECD countries. In fact, we've gone from the very low end to the very high end. And obviously that does raise some concern. I guess the big question is what's driven that surge in debt? I think there's four factors. Starting with the financial deregulation of the 1980s, we've seen an increased competition amongst lenders to make loans to people. That's increased the supply of debt. Secondly, we've seen a progressive decline in interest rate, particularly since the late 1980s, which has made debt seem somewhat more affordable. Thirdly, attitudes to debt have become a lot more relaxed as memories of Great Depressions, World Wars and other wars, severe economic downturns and so on have faded, so debt seems less risky. At the same time that modern society has encouraged instant gratification as opposed to saving for what you want. So each successive generation since the baby boomers have been progressively more relaxed about taking on more debt. And finally, it's become somewhat self-feeding because as people have been able to borrow more, that's enabled them to pay more for homes, which in turn has necessitated more debt levels to get into the property market because when you pay more for homes, it pushes their prices up. So it becomes somewhat self-feeding. 
So when you look at the numbers over the last 20, 30 years, the rise in debt to income ratios in Australia has gone hand in hand with a rise in house prices to average incomes in Australia. So they're effectively two sides of the same coin. Now, there's a bunch of reasons to think this is not quite as bad as it looks. Firstly, the debt or the rise in debt that we've seen over the last 30, 40 years arguably reflects a rational adjustment to lower interest rates and the greater availability or supply of credit since the 1980s. It's also unclear what a safe level of debt is. And you can make an argument that the, the level of debt is really a stock, whereas the level of income is a flow. And if you want to get a little bit technical here, maybe we should be comparing the level of debt relative to wealth, which I'll do in a moment. And this brings us to the point that the rise in debt has been exceeded by a rise in wealth. Thanks to a surge in the value of houses and financial wealth, we are far richer. In particular, this has been notable over the last two years, um, particularly since the period up to the March quarter, the two years up to the March quarter, we've seen something like a 32% rise in household wealth in Australia, whereas the rise in household debt has been a fraction of that. And of course, that's been driven by a 40% rise in the value of dwellings, a 30% rise in the value of superannuation, and a 26% rise in the value of the money in bank deposits. And that's occurred because income and government payments were saved during the pandemic. So people built that money up in bank deposits and in some cases paid down their mortgages. But obviously, point is, you've seen a big increase in wealth, not only over the last 30 years, but also over the last two years in particular. In fact, the value of average household wealth has gone up from five times average after-tax household income in 1990 to 11.4 times in the March quarter of this year. So it's increased even faster than the rise in debt. So that's the good news. Um, in fact, when you look at it on a per capita basis for every man, woman and child in Australia, the value of household debt in 1990 has gone from just less than $12,000 for every man, woman and child, as I said, to now $107,000 for every man, woman and child. Whereas average wealth has served from, has surged from $87,500 for every man, woman and child in 1990 to over $655,000 for every man, woman and child today. So there's been a massive surge in debt per person in Australia um, but there's been an even bigger surge in household wealth per person in Australia. As a result, household balance sheets as measured by net wealth, that is assets less debt, actually look quite healthy in Australia and look quite healthy compared to many other comparable countries. I guess the fourth point on the positive side is that households in Australia, Australians not having big problems servicing their loans and low, low or non-performing loans are actually quite low. This may reflect the record low interest rates and mortgage rates we've seen up until recently. In fact, the ratio of household interest payments to household income is the lowest it's been as measured since the late 1970s. So that's the good news and partly explains why non-performing loans are quite low. Fifthly, the dollar value of debt is concentrated particularly in higher income households who have a higher capacity to service it, particularly in relation to investment property loans and finally, you can make an argument that lending standards in Australia did not really deteriorate to the same degree we saw in the US, for example, prior to the GFC. 
And in fact, over the last, or since the middle of last decade, particularly following the macro prudential controls introduced at the time, particularly from 2017 onwards, which were reinforced by the Royal Commission, lending standards have actually been tightened and out of interest. Um, APRA uh, requires the banks to assess each new borrower on their ability to pay 2.5 percentage points more in interest payments relative to the borrowing rate they're actually signing up to pay. That was up until October last year. Since then, that rate, that that uh, buffer rate, has increased to three percentage points. So if they've done their job well, then Australian households should be able to service their loans, even if interest rates rise quite substantially. Now, of course, there's a bunch of offsets to all of this. Yes, wealth has gone up, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're out of the woods. After all, it's not what you own that might send you bust, but what you owe. That's a well-known quote that I fortunately don't know the source for. I'll say it again. It's not what you own that might send you bust, but what you owe. So there's a bunch of points to make in relation to this, which highlights that, yes, it's not as bad as it looks, but there's still a degree of risk around the high level of household debt in Australia. Firstly, while the rise in wealth is good news, it does not mean that there's no reason for concern. As a colleague pointed out, if you run into problems servicing or paying the interest payments on your house, you can't just sell off a part of your increased wealth in that house. You can't just sell off a bedroom, for example. Um, you have to service your interest payments and your debt out of your income. So therefore, it still makes sense to compare debt to income. What's more, that surge in wealth that we've seen flowed partly to a greater or lesser degree, and you can debate this one ad nauseum, from the shift to very low interest rates that enabled those assets, including houses, to be revalued upwards. If we're now coming into a world of higher interest rates, and obviously we've seen that already, then that will put downwards pressure on some of those assets, particularly for house prices, and we're already starting to see that with Sydney prices, as I speak, down by more than 3% from their high back in February, and national prices looking like they're accelerating to the downside, obviously led by Sydney and Melbourne, but other cities starting to see a significant slowing in their rate of increase. Now, the point that the rise in the debt means that moves in interest rates are now nearly three times as potent as they were compared to, say, 30 years ago. Just a rise in the cash rate, on our calculations, we'll see a near doubling in debt interest payments as a share of household income. Now, that's also allowing for the chunk of people who have fixed mortgages and will see their terms expire in the next year or two. And as a result, they'll see more than a doubling um, in interest rates they pay, or they would if they roll over at current rates. What's more, if the cash rate were to go up to 4%, which in fact is the money market's expectation for 12 months' time, that will push interest rates, interest payments as a share of income from 5.2% presently to around 12%. So, yeah, a significant rise in interest payments on debt, uh, whether you accept our expectations or the far more hawkish money market expectations. Now, coming at a time when falling real incomes due to cost of living pressures are impacting households, this is a significant hit to household spending power and will have a significant impact on spending in the economy over the next while ahead. Another point you can make is that many households have built up cash buffers, are in good shape. But by the same token, Reserve Bank analysis also indicates that there is a significant group of households, maybe 25 to 30%, who would see a sharp rise in their mortgage payments if mortgage rates rose by just 2%. 
And of course, don't forget we've already gone up by up to 0.85% on the cash rate. And most economists and market and market expectations are for more than this, i.e. more than a 2% rise in interest rates. This group, this vulnerable group, is likely to include those who bought into the property market more recently and who have had less time to get their mortgage under control. Many of them might even complain, perhaps quite rightly, that they've been surprised that interest rates have gone up a lot earlier than they were hearing um, from the Reserve Bank, who was intimating that it may not come till 2024. Be that as it may, the problem is that this group are likely to be typically 30 to 40 year olds, borrowed up big recently to get into the property market, um, and they have young families, and of course that could result in a lot of mortgage stress for this group. And that group is likely to be the marginal consumer, i.e. that group that's likely to change their consumption in response to rising interest rates, whereas older, wealthier, but perhaps even more indebted um, households are less likely to change their spending. So there's an obvious risk flowing from that in relation to this group, even though when you look at the aggregated picture for the household sector, it looks to be in reasonably good shape. Obviously, rising unemployment would add to the risks, although right now the unemployment rate is very low. Now, just finally, it's worth noting that consumer confidence in Australia is quite low. Home prices are accelerating to the downside, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, and that's just to me um, some evidence that the household sector is actually quite vulnerable to higher interest rates as a result of those higher debt levels. Now, this last little bit might sound gloomy. I think it is worth putting it in context. The overall household sector is in reasonably good shape, but there is a group of households who will be a lot more vulnerable. I think the key, though, is that the RBA only needs to raise interest rates far enough to call demand to take pressure off inflation and keep inflation expectations down. They don't want to crash the economy. All of this indicates to me that the RBA won't have to aggressively raise interest rates. Yes, they're doing that seemingly at present, um, and that's to, to reinforce the message that they're serious about keeping inflation or getting inflation back down to their target, and I think they have to be um, aggressive, at least initially, on that front. But I do think it's going to become evident fairly quickly that the household sector is a lot more vulnerable and therefore the Reserve Bank won't have to raise interest rates as much as the money market, for example, is implying that it will. So as a result, we continue to see the cash rate topping out at around 2.5% in the first half of next year. It could get to 2.6% because the RBA is operating on funny numbers at present, not quite rounding to the normal 0.25 increments. Um, but I don't see the cash rate getting as high as the money market has been expecting, up to around 4%. I hope that's been of use. Until we meet again, adios. Now to stay up to date on all the latest from Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series more broadly, be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. That way, you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back soon, but before we go, a quick reminder that all topics discussed today are general in nature and haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. It's important you consider seeking tailored financial advice that is relevant to your own situation before making any important financial decisions.